Well, hey, folks, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson here with you. And uh, later on for our inbox, we have a listener who's friends with a woman who is getting married to a non-Christian. And the couple also happens to be living together. And so our listeners wondering, should I even go to this wedding? One of our counselors is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture, Gary Thomas is back with us. His new book is called Making Your Marriage a Fortress. And he's going to talk about ways to know if the person that you're dating is truly committed because hard times are going to come in marriage. And so you need to know if you have the real deal. Mm-hmm. All right, here we are for our round table. And we're going to have a conversation today on what does it look like to be aware of what's going on in the world or in other people or in ourselves? And, you know, there's a certain amount of concern that can come with that. But how do we do that without worrying and letting it take over our lives? And so I decided to pick the most worrisome people I know. And so we have John, <laughs> John Bearden, <laughs> Bailey, and Chris. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. I'm very, I'm very worried about what you're going to say. Yeah. Next, so. As you should be, John. As you should be. So, no, I can't even say that because really John usually picks the guests. So this is on him. So <laughs> ba- Bailey and Chris can take it up with like, what do you think I'm a like, worrisome person? Or what? You know, so, um, But no, this is going to be a great topic because I think it is so appropriate, um, whether it is, you know, whatever it is in the world that we're worrying about. And actually, I'm going to just straight up ask our roundtable <laughs> at this point what worries them. Um, but it's something that I think we all can grow in and obviously bring to the Lord himself and be able to move forward and hopefully get healthy in this area in many different ways. So so let's actually um, let's start off with that question. Just as you look at whether it's world events or your own life or your family or the things you can't control, what tends to be the type of stuff that can maybe set you off and get you into a little spiral of like, okay, now I'm worried about this or now I'm obsessing about it? Definitely my own reputation. Okay. I've been told for a lot of my life, really since I started taking my walk with God seriously at about age 11, that I tend to be the good kid who people want to model their life after. And I'll be honest, sometimes there's a lot of pressure to kind of maintain that image. Yeah. And um, I've had to learn that obsessing over that is not a godly thing whatsoever. Sometimes it's good to kind of kick back and just be human for a little bit as opposed to worrying about my reputation or what everybody thinks of me. Yeah. Well, that's good because even on the good side of that, you can be prone to get your identity from that in a wrong way. Yeah, that's very real. And realize that, wow, what if that's taken from you? Then what will that mean? So, yeah, good thoughts. Yeah. Um, Mine is more along the lines of like something happening to my family. Like I worry Mm -hmm. about that a lot, Mm -hmm. specifically this year because my grandpa passed away and then my cousin's mom passed away. So then there's that whole like, oh, my gosh, like people die which you like realize that but when it happens like and hits close to home so I do worry about that a lot when they're traveling because they do travel a lot for swimming and I'm I have to read the news a lot for my writing so you know I read about Mm. murder Mm -hmm. and kidnapping some of this stuff all the time so then I I get say kidnapping is like a weird fear that I have Mm -hmm. so I worry about that a lot too (laughs) well don't read our local paper because I just saw an article there that like violent crime is like up 35 percent in Colorado it's high here it's one of the highest in Colorado yeah yeah so Mm -hmm. that's not good okay Chris yeah mine a lot of the time ends up being Mm performance-based where Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm either trying too hard or not hard enough and again it is just such a silly in your head way to think about things that a lot of the times you just relax you're going to end up enjoying it a lot more 
mm-hmm. but a lot of the time I've yeah just overall things end up turning out for the best and it's just unnecessary so it it's cool to have God there to back you up. Yeah. When uh, John first told me about this, I was reminded of an ongoing argument I used to have with my dad because inevitably he would like, you know, be all nitpicky on me about something mm-hmm. or he'd blow up about something. And then I would be like, Dad, don't worry about it. And then his response was always, I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. And so I (laughs) thought of that. (laughs) And it was usually like something about like some behavior that I should be doing or shouldn't be doing or whatever. And he was trying to tell me to, because we didn't know John at the time, to be more like John (laughs) and less like me. And so um, (laughs) however that would have played out. But, But it is kind of one of those things of like you know, a healthy concern and a healthy awareness of things is a good thing. So what, I mean, uh, how would you guys define then a healthy awareness or an understanding of, I mean, like Bailey, to your point, you just acknowledge like, uh, yeah, people die and eventually all of us will, (laughs) unless the Lord chooses to come, even so come Lord Jesus, we're cool with it. Um, But you know, so there are realities out there and stuff. And how how can we be aware of realities without getting freaked out? Yeah, I think, well, my dad always taught my sisters and I to like be prepared, you know, like head on a swivel, something he'd always say, like whenever we were leaving our house, he'd be like head on a swivel. Um, (laughs) So like hear it in my head every time I leave. But um, so I think it's just about like knowing that things do happen. And sometimes that's out of our control. But being aware of who's around you, um, do I have pepper spray? Am I able to conceal carry? Um, can I protect myself? But not letting it affect you to the point where you can't even go out mm-hmm. or you don't want to go do things or you're just like constantly in a state of fear because that's not a good way to live either. Mm-hmm. So I'd say just being aware of what's going on, but don't let it control you. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I was actually reading in Nehemiah this morning before I came to work. And one of the things that really stood out to me is when he heard about how Jerusalem had been destroyed, he got extremely sad Hmm. and he was deeply, deeply moved. But the thing that spoke to me is the fact that he didn't stay in that state of, Hmm. well, what, what now? Mm -hmm. He didn't stay in a state of, oh no, what's going to happen from here on out? He let that sorrow prompt him to take action. Mm -hmm. And I think many times that's very applicable to us in the way that we deal with worry in that we should acknowledge if something terrible has happened in the world, we should feel the sadness about it. We should acknowledge the fact that sometimes sad things do happen, but it's our response to it that either is going to be in faith or in worry. Mm-hmm. And for me, I I feel like a lot of it is leaning back on your faith uh, for my performance-based uh, awareness <laughs> that... Um, the Lord establishes where you are. Mm-hmm. He establishes what you're doing. And if you end up getting yourself into a situation that he hasn't, he's still going to be there with you. So mm-hmm. worst case scenario, as long as you are aware of God's presence in the situation, it just instantly makes all of my worry go away. Mm-hmm. That's good. I think what you guys are all alluding to kind of in your responses here is our desire for, you know, if we had our druthers, we would all try to control situations mm-hmm. like control is really at the root of a lot of fear and the inability to control is mm-hmm. what kind of can set us off. And it can manifest. I mean, a great, an obvious example is, is Bailey's example of like physical safety. But also we try to control other people's perceptions of us. We mm-hmm. try to control what our trajectory is, whether that's in career or whether or not we're maximizing our <laughs> gifts mm-hmm. or our talents 
violence or whatever? And do people recognize that we're maximizing them and and all that kind of stuff? So how do you I mean, Chris, maybe you can kick it off because you kind of brought brought this up about giving control over to God. How do you balance that with? Okay, but it doesn't mean that you just like yeah. lay back and act lazy too. I mean, I'm thinking of like this is so funny, just a little caveat of as I was thinking this through this morning, how kids, you know, it's almost this like what you don't know won't hurt you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that there was a lot I worried about as a kid. I just felt like life just kind of came, you know, we <laughs> talked about like a few weeks ago reflecting on your childhood, you know, in a good mm-hmm. way and there were so many yeah. things that you lose by exiting childhood. But that said, you can't stay a kid forever. So what does it look like to have a childlike faith, to be able to release control, but still move forward in the healthy things you're supposed to be doing? Yeah. And I just I've I love that question. I've I can't remember who I heard it from, but uh, somebody said that uh, wherever you worry the most is where you trust God the least. And I think that's so powerful that it has changed it from seeing everything as a scary situation to being an invitation to having a more intimate relationship with Jesus. And I just, I think that's the coolest thing. And it's completely reframed everything that I do to be more of an optimistic outlook as opposed to like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this? Or like, Oh my gosh, I hope I perform, Mm -hmm. you know? That's good. Yeah. I think for me, it's just trusting that God has a plan Mm -hmm. no matter what happens. He's holding me and my family like in his hands and he, knows what tomorrow's going to hold. He knows what's going to happen five years from now, Mm. and he's going to be there no matter what. So Mm -hmm. I think when I remember that and just remember that nothing's ever wasted, it's easier for me to release that worry because I'm like, okay, well, whatever happens, he has a plan for it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I love what Jesus said. Don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Yeah. Amen. And I'll tell you an area where I've actually had to practice it this year is I have a close friend right now who has struggled with an addiction for a number of different years. And it's been very, very tough to say the least, just seeing somebody with so much potential who is just kind of weighed down by this one thing that they just have not been able to get past. And I, um, earlier this year actually had more of an opportunity to speak into their lives and have a little more influence. And I was even getting some counsel from my dad saying, um, how do I deal with this? Cause he's very aware of the situation as well. And he said to me, Hey John, just focus on living by example mm-hmm. right now. And that's an area where I've had to really just kind of release control mm-hmm. and, What's a little funny, though, is a lot of the what if questions that I wondered about on the front end have not even happened. Mm -hmm. And so when I look back on that, I realize, wait a minute, I was I was worried about stuff that didn't actually come to fruition, even though I'm still wanting a different outcome than what I currently see. Mm -hmm. And that's such a great point, because you realize in hindsight that it's like, you know, for something like you said, that never came to fruition. I just wasted like two weeks of my life worrying about that. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, now I could have done things more productively in those two weeks. Mm -hmm. I always do that. I like do a kind of a back script on that to say, like, do I want to be two weeks from now 
thinking that I'm mad that yeah. I worried about this, blah, blah, blah. and then that <laughs> helps me rechart how I'm going to think about it now. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a weird little um, trick I, I play on myself in that. I'm also reminded of, um, there's a book I read uh, called As Silver Refined years ago by Kay Arthur. Yes. And uh, one of her main points in the book is talking about, like, there are a lot of bad, you know, she's had a really rough life. And there are a lot of bad things that can happen to us in our life, uh, whether straight up, like, physical things or people's, you know, uh, sin against us, perceptions of us, whatever. Um, but nothing happens to us until it is filtered through God's loving hand. Mm-hmm. And so even wow. the worst case scenarios, nothing will touch us unless God said, okay, that can touch him, that mm-hmm. can touch her. And that's just such a great thing to keep in mind as we have perspective on that. Yeah. I have to throw this in here. I met Kay a few years ago, and oh, she is yeah. literally one of the most outward focused people I have ever wow. met. She mm-hmm. is a really, really neat person. And um, she lives out what you're talking about. Yep. Um, the other thing I was uh, just came to mind as I was thinking about prayer is another thing that I've learned um, from Paul Miller's A Praying Life, which is probably my favorite book on prayer. And uh, he talks about how we get so worked up about like, are we praying for the right things? Or I'm so mm. upset with myself because I start praying yeah. and then I get all distracted. And he says, well, just start praying and then you're going to get distracted and you're going to be all mad because you just think you're so immature and you can't pray and whatever. But what are you thinking about? What's, where's your mind running to? And just start praying about that because chances are wow, that's the yeah. most important thing weighing on your mind right now. Yeah. And so give it over to God. You that's know, good. if it's yeah. like, you know, and you can judge yourself for what you're thinking. You know, if it's about <laughs> your like latest outfit or something. Okay, well, whatever. If that's important, Trust you just God pray. with your outfit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally. Or and did this girl look at me or what happened? Or whatever. So, you know what? Bring it to God because he can handle it. So yeah. that's, really uh, that's a great point as well. So any other um, another thing I want to ask is is like, are there examples that you've had in your life? I know, John, you referenced your dad and just some of the wisdom he gives, but other people that you've seen that really as mature believers have grown in their faith and encouraged you not to worry or just Mm -hmm. the way that they walk out their faith in this area? Definitely my parents. Mm -hmm. Like I I mean, since I'm alone, you know, I call them like every night and there are some days, you know, where I call them like freaking out about something and it could be something that is important or it could be something that's just like very trivial. And they're always just very good about being like, okay, well, let's stop for a minute. Like, why are you worried about this? And have you prayed about it? This is what God says. So it's just very nice to be able to talk to someone about it and for them to like point me back to God and back to scripture. And sometimes even after just talking about it, then I realize, oh, that wasn't as big of a deal as I was making it out to be in my head. Mm -hmm. So there's something to be said about talking to people you trust about Mm -hmm. what you're worried about. Mm -hmm. So good. My friend Bill does this really well. Um, He's actually one of our coworkers here. (laughs) (laughs) I have seen him in so many different times where he was kind of stressed out about different projects he was working on or assignments he had due all at once. But what's funny about Bill is almost every time I walk by his cube, I can crack a joke and he'll respond back with one as well. (laughs) That's great. And he just, he's very, very consistent about that, that no matter what's going on, and he'll be really honest with me when he's really stressed out Mm -hmm. or when he's got a lot going on. But at the same time, 
he makes time for other people mm-hmm. and is willing to listen. And also he's very, very funny and quick witted and is just willing to go to that place very quickly. It's, mm-hmm. It never gets to a point where he's so crowded with work that he just never has time to talk. That's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, for me, it would actually be a couple. Uh, I used to work with them in California and uh, they were younger than me, but it was just so incredible because no matter what came their way, they just always knew that God had them. And I'm older than they were and was in a higher position, but they were always people that just, they were a rock and mm-hmm. what they did with like the way that they handled their marriage, like their humor, like their fun. And it was just such a blessing to know two people that were just so firmly rooted that like no matter what came that we'd be able to bounce off each other and be in a better place on the other side of it no matter yeah like what we were worrying about what was going to happen what was going on because I made friends with them in the middle of COVID and it hmm. that that was a worrisome time for sure <laughs> yeah, yeah no that's good so what other kind of in our last remaining minutes here what are some other um, good tips that you would have um, for folks listening just about like Oh, you know, I can't, you know, here's what's going on in our country and I can't handle it. Or what, mm-hmm. you know, what if, what if so many people ask the question of like, well, what if so-and-so gets elected or what if this happens <laughs> in the Middle East or what if this, you know, happens or what if this happens mm-hmm. in my family, whatever, what would be some good um, uh, ideas that you would have for uh, sharing with folks about how to counteract that? Yeah. I would say first, it's important to analyze the worry depending on what it is. Like for me, my worst anxiety ever was when I was engaged and it was the wrong relationship to be Mm. in. So for me to ignore that wouldn't have been good. So it took me being like, okay, why am I feeling this way? There's no way this is normal. So definitely analyzing it and then talking to somebody that is so important because people can see things that you may not see in your own life. They have wisdom and sometimes just getting it out Mm -hmm. just is such a relief. Like keeping it bottled up is never a good idea. Um, Memorizing scripture has helped me because there'll be sometimes like at night where I like hear a noise. I'm like, what's that? Mm -hmm. Um, And then, Mm -hmm. you know, the Bible verse, like what time I'm afraid I'll trust in thee, like verses like that pop into my head. And it's so nice having that comfort from scripture. So um, little things like that really go a long way. Yeah. Yeah, And to go off of that again, the same thing I've, I just get worried about outcomes all the time. And I'll be trying to think like, man, how can I control this? How can I do this? How like what what's my part that I have to play in this to maximize and <laughs> make this efficient as possible? But just so often it, it always comes back on scripture because that's the coolest thing is just opening up your Bible and having a word from your Lord and Savior there just for you that again, that it changes every time you open your Bible. Basically, that you're going to find something for yourself as long as you're willing to read it and again, pray uh, over it and just communicate with your Savior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good that you mentioned that, Chris, because it kind of brings to mind for me that kind of the the worst time to start getting into scripture is when you're in a crisis. <laughs> um, so yeah. it's, that's just a little caveat to yeah. what we've been saying is like, now is the great time to get to know God and mm-hmm. what he has to say over your life and what that means. And mm-hmm. you're you're building a muscle and you're shoring yeah. up promises and faith and sowing that into your own life that you will reap when you need it most. And so it's not like, you know, in the good times, God and I were chill, yeah. you know, tap out. I'll see you, you know, when a crisis <laughs> comes. And then when yeah. the crisis comes, you're just not prepared and you're not in a spot to do that. Yeah. And that's actually one last quick thing is, again, I. 
I think it's so important to build your faith in those good times. And that's the reason that it's so important for us to praise Mm -hmm. is for that exact reason. Because again, that's, that's an act of faith building is by praising being like, God, you did do that for me. Mm -hmm. God, you did get me through that situation. And again, once you get into your next uh, valley, um, as opposed to being on the mountaintop, you're going to have more than you had previously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think also having some really honest conversations with yourself Mm -hmm. and sometimes doing some introspection along with what you guys said about memorizing scripture, which was great. Being honest with yourself about are there things you're using as coping mechanisms that if you were away from it for a few days, Mm. you would start to feel anxious. Mm -hmm. I'll be very honest here for a second. Um, I recently was camping out in California for about a week. And what was amazing is pretty much during that time we were in areas where we didn't have a lot of mobile reception Mm -hmm. and man, you want to talk about the, what if questions I was asking in my (laughs) head about what if I get this text about a work project? What if I get this text about a family member Mm -hmm. just because I was away from my phone for a few days and I, I got really convicted just realizing, man, I think I've become a little too dependent on my cell phone to Mm -hmm. actually give me some peace of mind about what's going on in the world Yeah, because it was very tough, a lot tougher than I would have anticipated to just relax and enjoy the scenery. And almost none of the what if questions that I was asking myself even happened as far as what text I was going to get. Most of it was honestly (laughs) me taking pictures that I didn't need mobile reception for. And then I was able to send some back to my family (laughs) when I got back Mm -hmm. into uh, more of a city area. So, yeah, that's a really good point of thinking that through. And I mean, of course, anyone who's another great way to do that is to find some oldsters and talk to them about (laughs) like living life without cell phones. Because I remember as a kid breaking down on the interstate on a family road trip in the middle of the U.S. And it was like. Uh, someone flagged down a semi-truck and some people just started walking on the interstate oh and we're like, gosh. whoever gets help first, I guess we'll do that. And I just remember my dad being all chill and like trotting along on the interstate, you know. And so anyway, yeah, it's crazy what we easily can get so dependent yeah. on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. So. Well, you guys, thank you so much for weighing in on this. I hope that you listening, uh, that it has really encouraged you. And certainly, as you see the social posts up around this, weigh in with your own thoughts and we can encourage one another. So thanks, guys. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Lisa. That sweet aroma, bold and beautiful, I can hardly wait to taste. is about to make my day. We're here for this week's culture segment, and uh, our guest today doesn't really need an introduction because he's been on the show about a million times, but I'm still going to introduce him because he's a great friend of Boundless, 
Gary Thomas, um, newly relocated to the fabulous state of Colorado, where he is currently a teaching pastor at Cherry Hills Community Church up in the Denver area. Um, you know, he used to be at Second Baptist in Houston. Sorry, Houston. Um, but anyway, we love it when he comes here. Obviously, the author of The Sacred Search, which so many of you have read, as well as Sacred Marriage and Cherish. And now a book uh, that he has titled Making Your Marriage a Fortress, Strengthening Your Marriage to Withstand Life Storms. So, Gary, welcome. Thanks, Lisa. It's great to be back. Always good to have you. And, um, you know, people are probably like, why are we talking about storms in marriage? I'm just trying to get married. But um, hang in there, folks. You're going to hear from us and why we're talking about this today. Um, I did want to mention, though, before we begin, that, Gary, you, it says that you've traveled to 49 states and nine different countries as part of your speaking ministry. So that begs the question, what state is still missing? Yeah. Actually, we hit that last year. <laughs> no it was way. South Dakota. Was it? And okay. My wife said I shouldn't put 50 because 49 sounds more authentic. Okay. <laughs> she said 49 <laughs> sounds like people are really counting. <laughs> 50 sounds like, oh, you just you just rounded off. But yeah, I was speaking on a podcast and the the pastor asked me that. And I said, South Dakota, he's from South Dakota. He goes, we can take care of that. <laughs> so I had a great time in Sioux Falls. Oh, the Sioux Falls people. They're great. Okay. I have a lot of family in North Dakota, which only about 12 people go to a year. So I was surprised that you actually hit hit that Several one. Several so times. Grand Forks, a, a bunch. Well, look at that. That's awesome. Okay. Well, we definitely want to start talking uh, to you today about you are an expert in relationships, in marriage in particular, and you have been married now to Lisa for how long? 38 Years. Okay, so real life experience in addition to everything else you've done. Congrats on that. That's fantastic. So I want, in, in, as part of that, you've done a fair amount of premarital counseling, uh, working with couples. And I know you, you say um, in the book, even even in this book, you talk about how you love it. You always can't believe when you do a wedding how like, these people are doing this. I'm yes. so excited. <laughs> You're getting kind of emotional about it when you do these. So that's that's super cool. I want to ask and, and kick off our conversation because we're talking about, you know, their marriage will inevitably have some storms and will have some difficulties. That is not usually the first thing that people think about uh, when they marry and more specifically when they are dating. Right. <laughs> um, and so do couples, as in your experience, do couples go into premarital or pre-engagement counseling, would you say, with a true understanding of how tough times will come, and what generally would you say is overlooked or even denied by couples who are a little bit starry-eyed? I'd say not even close. Hmm. They just don't understand the difficulties they face. And I don't think I'm just cherry-picking. You know, It's common for speakers to get emails from the people who are really hurting. But let me give an example. We were at a family camp some time ago. And at a family camp, you're sitting at tables and you're talking to people. You're not just flying in and out like I do at a lot of conferences. But there was a couple there, and I'd never heard of this. She has faced consistent seizures hmm. throughout her life. And the wrong kind of music at church can send her into a seizure. She had to bring her own food because if she eats the wrong ingredients, she'll go into a seizure. And one time the seizure was so extensive and lasted so long, three hours, it blocked out a lot of her memory, not all of which she's gotten back. And it was so violent, her husband confessed. He goes, Gary, I was praying, God, please heal her or take her. Hmm. Just please don't ask her to keep suffering like this. Lisa, that was six years ago. 
Hmm. They're still dealing with it. And they talked to another couple that had had a number of financial challenges from ministry job to ministry job. And then COVID took the feet out from under them. They finally were able to find this tiny little condo. They thought, well, this will hold us over until we retire. As things have gone on, they realize, okay, this little house that was going to hold us over is going to be our retirement house. Oh, and our daughter was just diagnosed as being bipolar. Hmm. Uh, another couple, they got married while she was pregnant, and then they adopted a child later on. They're now in their late 40s, and the birth mother of the child they adopted gave birth to another child, so they were contacted. We want to keep the siblings together. Will you take this child? And so they did, even though they're in their late 40s. And this child isn't developing. Mm-hmm. His head is too small. He probably will never be independent of them, which means they won't have lived a day of their marriage, very likely, without being pregnant or actively raising a child. And then there was a guy that got me just before I had to leave for a plane, and his wife had become depressed. She wasn't depressed before, but now for four years, she's battled depression, and it's been so extensive. If anybody's familiar with depression, he has to do a lot of the the housework and everything. She just doesn't have the energy. She can't give much to him. When you're depressed, you're just kind of absorbed in your own world. I'm not saying this judgmentally. It's just the mental condition. And she's done with God. She's bitter at God. Why would God give me this brain? She doesn't want to worship. She doesn't want to go to church. He takes the kids to church by himself. And so we were talking. I was praying for him, trying to encourage him. This broke my heart, Lisa. So I'm walking out of this room, and he thought I was already out. And I heard him just break down in sobs. Mm. Nobody, when they get married, thinks we're going to have these amazing health challenges. Where Think about all the aspects of marriage where you have to worry, is this going to send her into a seizure? She mm-hmm. can't drive. I mean, all of this, just think about every aspect. Nobody anticipates it. They don't anticipate we're never going to not be parents with Disabled children. They also have two autistic children that I didn't mention, or that my wife's going to be going through a depression, or that finances. We're, we're faithful. We tithe. We're just not ever going to have much money. They just don't anticipate that. They think, well, we're going to have good times. We enjoy each other on a date. We want to be sexually intimate. Let's get married. Not realizing that it's going to depress some of the guy listeners. I've done the math. Sex will represent one percent, less than one percent of your marriage, and and now the guys oh, have tuned out at yeah, this point, Gary. Over ninety nine percent of it, you're going to be facing issues that couples just don't usually think about. This is what will challenge our marriage. Yeah, well, that I mean, it actually brings home the message of your um, so popular book, Sacred Marriage, and really gives practical feet to it in the sense of these are things. I mean, there and it's hard, especially sometimes for younger adults to envision because maybe not a lot of life has been experienced or they do have their health right now or they haven't uh, gone to, you know, copious number of funerals or or whatever. So it's almost hard to wrap their heads around. But how, okay, after you have just described what you described in the many scenarios, I would imagine that so many young couples are going to say, well, I still want to get married, but what can I do to mitigate all of these circumstances? Yes. <laughs> so the yeah. goal is to say like, you know, well, I don't want that happen, you know, to happen to me. And so I'm going to start praying or I'm going to start picking people differently or I'm going to start. How can someone look towards marriage, hopefully knowing what you just said without completely like losing their mind or getting to be a control freak over it? What 
these couples found that I talked to was that they needed God more than they ever imagined they would. Mm-hmm. And he was faithful when they needed him. Mm-hmm. They have a new relationship with God. It's like, you know, in theory, you kind of need God, but maybe when you're single and everything is fine, you don't feel that need. But when you really do and he comes through, it draws you so close. I would say to get ready for marriage, there's two things I would really emphasize. First, get personally healthy. I talked to one husband who had a sexual addiction from issues that arose before he got married. It had nothing to do with his wife. He was facing it before he ever met his wife, much less married his wife. So there's nothing his wife could have done to keep him from acting out. There wasn't anything lacking in the way she treated him. He was exposed, and he said, Gary, I thought it was the worst day of my life. Looking back, he says, I think it was the best day of my life because he found freedom, and he went hard into recovery. And this is what I'd say to singles. I've seen people who have dealt with their addictions be amazing marital partners if they've gone seriously into recovery. He did the 12-stepping. He did the, you know, 30 meetings in 30 days. He was a mentor. He was menteed, if that's a word, mentored (laughs) and a mentor. Um, He had a private, licensed, professional counselor, and he went through quarterly lie detector tests where his wife could ask him anything. So he removed the ability for him to relapse or he knew his wife would find out. 18 months after he entered recovery, their daughter got leukemia, a serious kind that could have killed her. And so his wife is at the hospital with his daughter. He's at home with their two sons. And he said, Gary, if I hadn't gotten into recovery I wouldn't have been able to be there for my wife and daughter when they need me most. I would have been acting out. I would have dealt with the fear and insecurity by acting out, which would have pulled me away from that. I couldn't have been there for my sons like I needed to be. I'm so glad I'd been in recovery. And the wife said, I'm so glad he was. She goes, we wouldn't have made it. There wouldn't have been enough of him. He was able, she goes, because he's amazing. And since he was able to manage an addiction and a family and a business, He wouldn't have been able to manage a business, an addiction, a family, and a serious illness on the part of his daughter. So I would say, and this came up with another couple, in fact, a a wife who was unfaithful. If you don't deal with those childhood hurts before you get married, they will come up. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, marriage will give you 9 to 12 months of respite. I've told a lot of guys, you won't know your wife until she's 35, because I've seen so many where awful things were done to them or real hurts were done, and they hold it together to get married, and they hold it together and they have toddlers, and just about after the kids get out of being toddlers where they're not desperately needed, it's like they've been holding these balls, inflated balls underwater, and their arms are tired, and they explode, and Mm -hmm. all of these issues come out, and Mm -hmm. so I would say... Deal with a counselor. One guy I talked to, completely rejected from his family of origin, no emotional connection with his parents at all, molested as a boy, which is devastating, and then um, got into pornography, seriously. And I'm just going to say, his wife couldn't cure him. He couldn't cure himself. You need professional care if you've been through that. Mm -hmm. You know, I can fix a flat tire. If my engine blows up, I got to call in a mechanic. Mm -hmm. And so maybe you got a little too familiar with a girlfriend or a boyfriend and you shouldn't have and you feel a little guilty. You can probably pray prayers of forgiveness and be okay. When you have 
a really dysfunctional family of origin and you've been molested and you've got a history with pornography, you need a professional to help put you together or eventually it will come out in your marriage. A lot of women think if their husband cheats on him, well, was I not enough? Did I not do enough? Am I not pretty enough? He told me, Gary, she was the perfect woman for me. He used the word perfect. I just knew I couldn't keep a perfect woman. I wasn't worthy of a perfect woman. When she found out what I'm really made of, she would leave me. So it's like it pushed me to act out just to get it over with, like Mm -hmm. pulling off that Band-Aid. Okay, I'm going to lose her. It's too painful to think about. So I want to do that now. So please take care of yourself before you get into a marriage because marriage will test you if you get married and you want to be cared for spiritually and psychologically. The second thing, and I know you didn't expect a 30-minute answer, I'm sorry. <laughs> but but the second thing is these cliches about getting spiritually strong. It, it's like vitamins until a crisis comes and then it's like Tylenol. You know, publishers will tell you, sell Tylenol, not vitamins. And this is a word for the writers here. Mm-hmm. What they mean is if you have a desperate need you're going to go to the drugstore and you're going to buy the Tylenol. You don't care if it's $10 for the bottle. If you have a headache, I need Tylenol. Supplements might help you in the long run, but they don't feel so urgent. And a lot of times studying scripture, building friendships, learning how to pray, having a church community, it feels like vitamins, obligations. I should do this because it's the right thing to do. I think of a couple that lost their only son Tragically, he died when he was 19. They had no other children. And she grabbed the lapels of her friend from a Bible study at church. And she said, look, I know 70% of marriages will get a divorce when this happens. Please don't let that happen to us. I've lost my son. Don't let me lose my husband. Because they had invested in community, they had a community that surrounded them. The husband wigged out, wigged out. I mean, he he had his breakdown about 18 months later. For them, the second year was harder than the first. The first year, they're numb. The second year, okay, this is the new normal. It's just us. And she called his friends. They had the biggest argument of their marriage. And she said, y'all got to go get him. I don't know what he's going to do, but he needs you to be there. You can't make friendships at that point and say, go get him. That's... It's why you want to be a part of a church. And I know sometimes people think, well, I'm, it's just me and Jesus. Well, fine, but there's going to be a time when you need Jesus through your brother and sister. And frankly, there are people that need you now if you're strong, and there'll be a time when you need them. So think of that as I need to build a strong church community. I need these scriptures. Janelle, after she lost her son, which is more devastating than I could imagine, found great hope in the verse, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And she looked at me and said, Gary, God didn't just call Garrett from us. He called Garrett to something. He is perfectly serving God in his glorified state, 100% obedience. And he gives me so much joy to think my son is perfectly doing what he's supposed to do until I get there and I can see him again. She goes, my friend's kids are going through all kinds of issues you know, alcoholism or depression or financial problems or getting fired or dealing with COVID issues. I don't have any worries for Garrett. And and least what I could say is if you could see her face and hear her tone, scripture was feeding her hope. 
These weren't dead words. It was like a life preserver. I faced a fear I never thought I would face. And scripture is is holding me up. But they were studious students of scripture. So she could draw from that just when she needed it most. So sometimes church and scripture and prayer and friends will feel like vitamins. And sometimes they'll feel like Tylenol. Take your vitamins Mm -hmm. because it's often too late if you treat them like Tylenol. Yeah, so good. I'm going to give you a pass on the sermonette because I actually was going to circle around and ask you about the faith component in this and the value of community and tapping into um, into God's word and, and the disciplines, which is so true. In fact, I have a friend who I think last year-ish almost lost her hu- husband to COVID, like literally ventilator, barely here. Um, and she says now this side of it, um, he came through that it was only because of what they'd invested in their church yeah. and what she had invested in her own walk that she could get through that season of aloneness, I mean, with her kids and him just not being there and also anticipating that he might be gone. And yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, it it does make a difference. So, um, well, I want to turn the corner and talk about another hard thing that folks experience in marriage is often distance. And some will experience that because of maybe a deployment or something unexpected, travel that happens. Um, maybe, you know, some couples I know later in life have to go, one of them has to go and maybe care for a a parent for a season. There's a lot that goes on. And it makes me think, you know, because a lot of younger adults now meet online and they do long distance relationships for dating. But what would you say? I mean, I think they we know and we say so often here at Boundless, Gary, that intentionality is key in keeping a relationship alive on the front end and in the middle and beyond. But doesn't it seem that there are even married couples in proximity of one another who experience drift. (laughs) I almost think a lot of people will say, well, our solution is going to be we just will never be apart, which one is probably unrealistic. But two, the fact that there are many couples headed towards divorce because they have just let their relationship drift. They've not been communicative. They've not cared for the other. What is there a way for people on the front end of this to get ahead of that and guard against it? Yeah. Well, I think first in dating, I think that's one of the key things to look for. Is this person intentional in building the relationship or is it a chore? Are they just in it for the fun? It's fine to have fun together. You should have fun together. In fact, the couples that made it had intentional times of fun saying, we're not going to talk about our issues. We're not going to talk about, we're just going to have fun. But they were ruthlessly intentional about getting together. They would have what they called their check-ins where they would see how each other is doing and they had to have it scheduled. Distance in a relationship for me is sort of like weight gain when I moved to Houston, Texas and You know, you maybe gain a quarter pound every two weeks, which doesn't sound like much, but that's half a pound a month, which is six pounds a year, which is 12 pounds in two years, which is 24 pounds. Just from being in Texas? (laughs) Well, (laughs) see, I'm leaving Seattle, the land of sushi and salad, which I don't like. I go to Houston where they have everything I love but shouldn't eat. They have the steaks. They have the barbecue. They have the Tex-Mex. They have tortilla chips. I get slayed (laughs) by a bull, and it's harder to run it off because it's so hot and humid. So... um, but it's it's like that with a relationship. And so I would say if you're the only one in the dating relationship who's being intentional, that other it's not going to make it in a marriage where life works to tear you apart. And, and some of these couples made some 
what people would call fierce decisions. John and Deborah found out that when they had a kid, a new marriage is born. Les Parrott says this. This is a great line. When you give birth to a baby, you're giving birth to a new marriage. And every baby is a new marriage. And so I've had couples say, we haven't had kids yet. What should we expect? And I said, well, what are you going to take out of your life? And they said, what do, you, what do you mean? I said, well, do you think God hands you a baby and says, and here's another 30 hours a week? Hmm. I, it, it, that, you, you've got to be real. And so the couple I talked to and, and her the husband calls it an unmatchable connection with his wife. And they've been married 16 years. So they're past the infatuation stage. He works three days a week. His wife works too, so they combine it. And he's an eye surgeon, so he does okay. But he says, yeah, I drive older cars. He goes, but I value the relationship I have with my wife and my kids more than I value having a few hundred thousand dollars more in the bank that who knows when I'll spend it or if I'll ever need it. And I talked to a couple one time where they were buried because she would work in the evenings and weekends. He would work during the day, so they would watch the kids. And they were never together. In fact, they were only in the same bed maybe a few hours a night. And I, I was getting into the nitty-gritty, and he earned about 180000 She earned about 300000 And I said, how much do you need I said, well, in our neighborhood, about that much. We really can't get by with much less. But what do we do? And I said, I, I can't help you. I said, if you keep living the schedule, I don't see this ending well for you. I don't know how you can keep a marriage intimate when you're in the same bed three hours a night, when you're tag, here's the kid, and then you're off on your own lives. I go, you're going to have to make some hard decisions. Do you have to live in that neighborhood? And I think life's going to force you into those choices. Is the neighborhood more important than intimacy in my relationship? And you can see those things in dating. What drives someone? Mm -hmm. Um, Are they intentional? Do they enjoy the relational work? Are they emotionally available? The three things, I don't mean to run the questions, but the three things (laughs) that really helped couples in a crisis, and you could test this in a dating relationship, and I'm I'm taking this from Dr. Archibald Hart and Dr. Sharon May. Father and daughter team. Kind of cool. They mm-hmm. wrote the book together. It was trust, emotional availability, and sensitive responsiveness. And those were the building blocks on which marriages are built. So if trust is broken, and I'm not talking about he cheated on you, he dated someone else or whatnot. Trust is if he says he's going to be there, he's going to be there. If she says she's going to pick this up, she picks it up. You can't feel secure in a relationship if you don't trust each other. So I would look, is this a trustworthy person? Emotional availability. Are they so full of themselves and their job that they're just not emotionally available for you? Yeah, I just, my my neck has been sore. Yeah, I had a sore neck the other day and I was thinking that we could go play tennis and like, did you just, did you just hear? I mean, you're not even processing. I'm really concerned about this and you're talking about playing tennis. And then sensitive responsiveness and Women, be patient with the guys. This is harder for us. The way our brains are wired, when you share something that's hurtful, the guys respond with empathy by saying, I can fix that, or here's what you should do. But guys, when you say that, here's what the the woman says. He wants to fix it because he doesn't want to walk through this with me. He just wants to make it go away. I'm just a bother. My problems are a bother. And so... If we can learn to respond sensitively to an issue, if we can learn to be emotionally available, if we can learn to build a relationship of trust, 
test those things out in dating because that's how you keep an intimate marriage going when life tries to pull you apart. Yeah, that is uh, super helpful. And I'm just cracking up here because um, that is literally or was my last question, Gary. It was, <laughs> what do you look for in a relationship while you're dating to ensure or give yourself the best chance that this person is going to be healthy during trouble, during loss? During... Okay, <laughs> so there, there you are just two producers it. out there. Can so, you guys just cut this so and welcome, put that in the front so I don't look welcome like Welcome to the episode through. of The Boundless Show with Gary Thomas as host and guest and... Uh, <laughs> You know, I could just go, I'm going to go get a coffee. I mean, it's good. If you could do uh, the out on this now, Gary, just send send folks out, give our call to action. No, I'm just teasing. You're such a pro and we so appreciate you here at Boundless, Gary. Um, Folks, again, his book, his newest book is Making Your Marriage a Fortress. Uh, Sub on that is Strengthening Your Marriage to Withstand Life Storms. But as you can see by the conversation today, um, there are a lot of applicable things for you if you are engaged, if you're dating, if you're hoping to be dating, because again, personal health and a love for Jesus. And then, you know, what does that look like in the middle of the week? As we always say here at Boundless, um, that is what is going to give you the tools that you need to enter a relationship that will go the distance with God's help. And so we want to make a copy of Gary's book available to you for a gift of any amount to Boundless. If you just go uh, to boundless.org, you can search for 766. That's this week's episode. You'll see the cover there and just click on it. Give a gift to Boundless for the stuff that we're already doing this year and we'll continue next year and we will send Gary's book to you as a thank you. So Gary, thanks so much for being part of this conversation. Thank you, Lisa. Oh, God, did I hear you? You really want me to walk up to that mountain and tell it just to move. This is crazy, yeah. I'm trusting, because with you I know that all things are possible and I can walk on water if you're calling me to you and it's crazy yeah Lord this scares me yeah but it's gonna take crazy faith so what if it cost every Stepping out, I'm taking the leap of crazy faith. Well, we are finishing out the show, and in doing that, we open up our inbox, and we always love it when one of our counselors can come down to answer a specific question. And this week, we have counselor Tim Sanford. Hey, Tim. Hey, Lisa. All right. Hey, thanks for giving us your time. Great. Good to be here. Okay. Well, our listener, I'm going to go ahead and read our listener's question. Um, Our listener says, a Christian friend has recently gotten engaged to a man who is respectful of her faith but doesn't share it. Due to her job situation, she rarely attends church and thus has a very small number of Christian friends. She and her fiancé live together, and she says that they read the Bible and pray, and they're not having sex. When she started dating this man, her Christian friends expressed concern about him not being a believer, but I haven't said much. 
I'm struggling about whether to attend their wedding. Because I haven't been more honest about my concerns, at this point I don't have much of a leg to stand on if I decline her wedding invitation. Am I sinning if I attend, and how can I love her rightly in this situation? Well, first off, Lisa, I can't point to a passage in the Bible that says she'd be sinning if she does not attend or if she does attend. Mm -hmm. It's not that clear. So when you look at a marriage, remember, attending a wedding, you're saying by your physical presence that you're supporting this person and you're supporting the marriage. So in this situation, you can really go either of two ways. First, you can attend. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because you do want what's best for your friend. You do want her marriage to stay together. You do want to thrive. No, you don't agree with her marrying an unbeliever. That's true, and you know that. Yet you still want her to be successful in her marriage, so you can attend. Likewise, you can choose not to attend because you really don't agree with a believer marrying an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. You do want to support your friend, but you can't support the principle of a believer marrying an unbeliever. So either way with that. Now, what I would suggest is that she has a conversation with her pastor. Hmm. Talk to him or her about this, what their beliefs are, what the church's position on this is, because she may learn a lot about those deeper theological issues on this. So have an appointment with your pastor if she can. The last part is whatever she chooses to do, two things. One, know why you're doing what you're doing. So be clear with that. So wrestle with it until you get that clear understanding. And then second of all, be comfortable in your spirit with that decision that you're making. Mm-hmm. Those two things, you can't go wrong. Okay. Yeah, great point there. And yeah, it is. It's hard. It's Marriage is one of those, as we know, one of those common graces. And there are unbelievers that marry. There are believers that marry. Of course, like you said, it is a little trickier um, when, you know, someone is, as we know from Scripture, it's called unequally yoked. And that's hard for the friendship. Um, I also feel like, you know, I'm just going to tag this on. Tim didn't say this, and I don't even know if if he would have said this, but the whole concept of of friendship and being willing to speak up, I mean, this might be a little call to you to exercise that muscle (laughs) a little bit in the future, because you are in a hard spot. I totally understand. It's hard to lead with with difficult things, especially things that a friend isn't going to want to hear. But being a great friend, we know from Scripture, is that person who's going to weigh in on those hard things and seek the best of the other person. And so just a thought there. For sure. Yeah. Well, Tim, thank you so much for weighing in on this. And and again, yeah, we're hoping our listener doesn't lose any sleep over this. But again, it's just a great reminder for all of us to think about marriage, to honor marriage, and to ask God to speak into our marriages. So... Well, folks, that is it for this week's show. Um, As always, we do want to hear from you. And it's been a little bit since I put out a shout uh, for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Again, this is when other people will come and find the show because of your positive review. So if you go over there, uh, just leave a review about the show, maybe something that has impacted you or you find especially fun. And uh, that way folks can get your insight into the show as well and maybe give it a chance. Uh, Until then, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. 